Hi, I'm Gunnar Esiason, and welcome to The State of Health, the podcast where patients put healthcare decision makers and thought leaders in the hot seat. On today's Three Questions episode is Governor Phil Murphy from New Jersey. The rule in a Three Questions episode is simple. The role of the interviewer will flip halfway through the show. This conversation was recorded in the fall of 2020. Let's get to it. Gunnar, uh, great to be with you. As I say, I'm a fan of yours from afar. Great to meet you uh, virtually. Happy to be talking to you today. I have a strong personal connection to New Jersey. Uh, the Boomer Science Foundation, our family's organization, has been strong supporters of the uh, Morristown Medical Center and the Cystic Fibrosis Center there, the Gunnar H. Esaias and Cystic Fibrosis Center. And my first job at a college was actually with Nestle Health Science when they were in Florham Park. Uh, and I worked in the enteral feeding department. I personally with the feeding tube. Uh, so it was a pretty cool experience to be working with them. Yeah, and they have moved to new, as you know, a new campus, which I helped uh, cut the ribbon on, I think, last year. But they're a good example of the innovation economy, both they and Morristown Medical. New Jersey's got uh, our, more than our fair share of presence in that reality, especially in the, the healthcare arena. Absolutely. So, you know, what? let's just jump right into the questions. We're already talking about it. My first question for you, Governor Murphy, is you've talked a lot about, about supporting innovation and innovative companies like those in the biopharmaceutical sector or the life sciences sector. What does that look like in New Jersey uh, broadly? As I said, we've got a um, reputation and we frankly still do the medicine cabinet of the nation. Uh, people use that phrase less these days, but it's still very accurate. We've got, you know, across the whole range of biopharmaceuticals, we punch well above our weight. We're probably in a handful of states. I'd say Massachusetts would be the other one that is in the neighborhood. And, you know, given where we're located, you not only know who we are, but where we are, and your family does. Uh, and, of course, the Jets are in Florida Park. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you've, got, you've got a long, rich uh, family history in, in Jersey. But the two things that we care the most about are talent and location. So location is largely investment in infrastructure to you know, ports, NJ transit, roads, et cetera. Talent begins with public education right up through the PhDs that work at the Nestle Life Sciences and others like that. We just got ranked again, second year in a row, number one in the nation public schools, two years in a row. Last year was the first time we ever had achieved it. We clipped Massachusetts and we're still there this year, slightly ahead of Massachusetts. And that says a lot about how we see the long game in terms of the biopharmaceutical healthcare arena. Our economic development authority more on the here and now emphasizes in its programs, big STEM specific incentives. You know, we have scholarship programs that that heavily weigh the STEM side of the education and professional experience. So it's a whole range of steps. It's a corner of industry that we hold on to dearly and we want to build particularly, I'll leave you with this, particularly with startups. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to have the Nestle's, the Sanofi's, the Bristol Myers Squibs, Pfizer's, J&J here, which we do and we're thrilled with that. We want to get more of the folks who get out of uh, the tuck school and start a business in their garage. Uh, yeah. We want them more and more to, to put their flag in New Jersey and a lot of our programs are around that. Absolutely. So my second question, you know, as an MBA student myself, I feel like it's a great honor to be talking to someone who's such a powerful finance veteran like yourself, and also know you have your your own MBA. The ripples of this pandemic will be felt for a long time, especially with remote working and remote schooling uh, technology that's around us. Is New Jersey positioned to capitalize from those changes or will it be a a tough transition for New Jersey? Yeah, so I think New Jersey is a big winner. 
and I say that with great respect to New York in our north, New York City, Philadelphia in our southwest. You know, in many respects, as they go, we go. So we wish them nothing but the best. But there's no doubt. There's just no doubt. Work from home, living in a less vertical environment, having a backyard, maybe a running machine in your basement, putting your kids into those best in America public schools, be on a transit line if you need to go into work occasionally, you add all that up, we are a huge winner. And if folks wouldn't believe that, they should look at the selling prices of, of homes in the big commuting suburbs in our state, and they're through the roof. So I think for a lot of reasons, including back to the first discussion, we had among the best healthcare in the mm -hmm. country. So when mm -hmm. you add up the things, Gunner, that I think families need to care about, can they work from home? Can they find a place that's affordable with a backyard? Can they get great public schools for their kids? Do they have great health care? Do they have infrastructure that works when they need it? The overall quality of life. I think we are, a, as a state, a big winner in this. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the important thing that I want people to know, you know, whoever's listening, is that people with disabilities and chronic disease have been, you know, waiting for this opportunity to be working from a home, to have remote work accessibilities, because that's how we get involved in the economy. And being able to be afforded that kind of accessibility is, is unvalued. More from the State of Health after the break. So I want to move to the third question here. Part of our, our goal with this, with this show is to solicit questions from community members within the various states. So uh, I've got a friend living with cystic fibrosis in, in New Jersey. Her name is Marge Carfor. I have a great deal of respect for her. She actually is post-double lung transplant and a cancer survivor on top of cystic fibrosis uh, and, and a new mother, believe it or not. So she oh, is in uh, an amazing success story that you have in your own backyard there, Gov. And her question for you is the pandemic has forced states to reprioritize policy decisions. Uh, so how do you plan to ensure vulnerable New Jersey residents like those living with rare disease or post-transplant or people living with cystic fibrosis uh, are able to both continue receiving care and manage their livelihoods? God bless her. Will you give her a hug virtually I, or otherwise yeah, for absolutely, me? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Tell, tell her we're here for her. Uh, what a story. I read about her, but I didn't realize that she was a recent mom on top of all of that. So mm -hmm. give her a hug. Listen, we've gone out of our way without giving you the long song and dance for Marge. Uh, the fact of the matter is we have obsessively and disproportionately ring-fenced the sort of services and programs for the folks who need it the most. Frankly, probably at the expense of the rest of us. Mm -hmm. uh, but you've got to make trade-offs. And we've got, you know, not just an awful pandemic unlike any we've ever had before. We've got an economic and fiscal crisis unlike any we've ever had before. And I want to give a shout out on this one. The federal government has done a fair amount. It needs to do more. No state has enough money. No state can print money. There's only one existential player that can come in with another wave, and that's the federal government, Congress, and the president. So I want to plead uh, that Congress gets to that point um, and the president signs some more relief because if we get that, we'll be able to do a lot more of what I just said, which is ring fence the programs for the folks who need it the most. You know, we learned through painful, awful loss of life over 14,000 early, earlier than other states. We now are building a massive strategic stockpile of personal protective equipment and ventilators. We're building a fiscal surplus as best we can. 
We are hoping for the best, but we're preparing for the worst. The only thing I would say, this is somewhat to rare diseases, but I hope that with face coverings, the vigilance of social distancing, an awareness among our public that we're better prepared for the flu season, for the second wave of COVID, whatever it might be. But that's one sort of uh, asterisk I'd put on my answer. Thanks for listening to The State of Health. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the role of interviewer will flip. So now I want to flip the microphone over. I want to give you a chance to uh, do your best to learn from uh, the rare disease community through a few questions. Yeah, so I was going to ask, I got a couple um, for you and then uh, our friend Marge in absentia when we get to connect with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This notion of social distancing, of aggressive hygiene, washing hands uh, with soap and water regularly, face coverings. This is sort of old hat, I would think, for someone with a rare disease, with someone like yourself with cystic fibrosis or what Marge is dealing with. What, what can we learn from you all? Because while a lot of those habits have developed, they haven't yet developed to the extent that we're going to need them to de- develop. And any advice you've got from your experience would be great. You know, in talking with another friend who has cystic who has cystic fibrosis, she always used to tell me that you know I wish one day we would get to see everyone on an airplane flying with a face mask. And you know, now we're in the situation that we're in. It's a little bit of a serendipitous conversation that I think we had. And I really believe that part of understanding an individual's role in controlling infectious disease is really the education and, and understanding why we need to do it. Right? You know, it's it's easy to tell someone to do something, but it's really far more powerful in my mind to explain why we need to do something and make sure people understand why we're all in this together. And I think, you know, we go back and forth from, from the earlier months of the pandemic where there was the big, uh, you know, hesitancy and the big resistance to, to face covering and, and mask wearing. And to me, that was just all nonsense. You know, I think it's a common sense. It's an easy thing to do. And it's something that, uh, frankly, that I've been doing for, for a number of years, really because I prioritize my health. And, and I see that my health is the, uh, the key to the rest of my life. You know, being in good health is why I get to go to the Tuck School, is why I get to talk to you on a podcast, and understanding my future value in making a few short-term sacrifices like that. I love that. You know, it's funny, you, you said this on face masks, at least in New Jersey, uh, I feel like there was a breakthrough about a month or so ago. We're still not at the level of compliance that we need, but mm-hmm. there was a breakthrough when, when the data reported out that, up until six or eight weeks ago, the, the, the deal was I wear a face covering, Gunner, when I see you to protect you, not to protect me. Mm-hmm. The science actually doubled down and said, actually, it, it protects both of you. Yeah. And that, that sort of, I, I know it appealed to the selfishness among folks, but what, I'll take whatever we get to get yeah. people's yeah. compliance up. Let me ask you a second one. And you may be doing this. You may see evidence that, is, um, that already suggests the answer. H- how do you think we get more folks people like you, people like Marge, people who are in, the, in, in cystic fibrosis or other rare, rare diseases, getting more involved in, you asked me about the life sciences earlier, in life sciences, maybe that's happening. Mm-hmm. How about in, um, in government service? What advice do you have on that front? You know, I think one of my big visions, one of my big goals in life is to see people living with chronic conditions that have active decision-making roles within the, the broader healthcare community, right? You know, it's all about stakeholders. It's all about, you know, those of us living with uh, these diseases, being able to make 
decisions about our own lives. You know, I think everyone wants to be able to have a say in what they can and cannot do. Um, and, and I look back to my time at Nestle in New Jersey uh, and saw that I was able to provide nuanced information about, uh, you know, their consumers, the patient populations that they were treating or that they were hoping to treat. And I was able to bring that back and, ex and really extract value, not only for patient communities in, in, in terms of better products and better communication and better educational programs, but also for my, my colleagues at Nestle. You know, I think they learned a lot from having a patient on board, not just as a motivator, you know, I think sciences moves a little slower than, than other industries and that may be a bit frustrating, but I think when there's a patient on a team, you know, it's almost like there's a little bit of a motivator to get things yeah. done a lot faster and a lot more efficiently. But I also think that, you know, they got to see what their products were actually doing you know, and what they were doing to actually make a difference in the world, especially the world of people living with uh, CF, in my case, or people living with feeding tubes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the kind of value that I want to see, not only from the healthcare industry, but also government, you know, and I want to see um, people living with chronic conditions and, and being able to, you know, advise policymakers and being able to, you know, have input on legislation that is passed uh, inside state and local governments. Yeah, and I think on that latter one, we are punching way under our weight. I think New Jersey makes it as open and available and accessible as much as any American state, but we're not patting ourselves on the back. The representation from the community is far below, punches far below its weight. Let me ask you my third one, yep. although I had a, a quick fourth one, uh, but I, I don't want to overstay my welcome. <laughs> but very simply, what advice would you have for, for government, not just in a pandemic, uh, but as a general, even in peacetime, what more can we do for the community? I assume getting more representation, which is yeah. what you and I just discussed, would be on that list. But what other suggestions do you have? You know, I think especially in the scope of the pandemic, and I'll let you ask the fourth if you'd like, but, um, you know, right now we understand, like you said, there's a financial and fiscal crisis going on. And we know that people with uh, rare diseases are hurting. You know, it's, they're being forced, you know, is it okay to work? Is it okay to, to really take care of my kid who's, you know, living with cystic fibrosis or something else? Uh, and where that breakdown sort of happens. And I know in New Jersey, you guys have the New Jersey uh, State Organization of, of Cystic Fibrosis that administers yep. the Adult CF Assistance Program. And those things are critical, I think, in making sure that they persist beyond the scope of, uh, of just this, pan not only this pandemic, but, but, you know, through the future years as well. Because cost sharing, in my opinion, is one of the most critical pieces of, of the healthcare industry. You know, it makes sure that patients are not alone, their, their necks aren't out there to dry without any help. And we know that when patients are able to uh, pay their co-pays that are payer-based or co-insurance that are payer-based, they're able to stay inside the economy and provide value not only for their family, but also their employers. What I want out of state government is to make sure that those people, that the, that part of the population is able to be financially sound inside their economies and to not go home feeling stressed or not go home feeling worried about they have to make some unrational choice, their, their job or their family. Uh, and I think as, as governor, you're in a, a wonderful position to make sure that those folks really don't have to make those kind of choices. That's a great, that's a great answer. I mean, we've done a, a significant amount to make health care more affordable and accessible, but we remain on that road. We are not in the end zone, which leads me to my fourth question, which has nothing to do with this. I got to put you in, by the way, FanDuel has not put me up to this. Give, <laughs> give, give me your uh, prediction, assuming they play 16 games for the Bengals and the Jets. So I got to tell you, I think the Bengals are going to be a little bit of a going to be a tough year for them. A work in uh, progress, this thing. Yeah, yeah, some work in progress. I mean, make it a little bit of a work in progress for the Jets, also. Yeah. Um, as my dad always said, he played in the Bermuda Triangle of the NFL: the Jets, Cardinals, and the Bengals. Oh, and uh, the Cardinals, yeah, yeah, that may that 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 sort of saying of his may persist, and it may also explain why I'm actually a Green Bay Packers fan. Uh, <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I jump ship, believe it or not, back when I was a kid. 
but I appreciate the question. All I'm, all I want is I want sports. I want sports yeah. to be there. I know I, I'm, a, you know, we're a big sports family. It might be biased, but I think sports are just uh, something that people need, especially right now, given everything that's going on in the world. Yeah. And it's a, it's a nice little escape. Yeah, we've got to listen. We've got, uh, and New Jersey's got a a big dose. We've got obviously the Jets and the Giants. God, you're so right. The the, the mental health break. I, I don't care whether there are fans in the stands or not, as much as be able to turn the television. Yeah, absolutely. On a Sunday afternoon. and gals who actually play the games just to be able to do that. Big deal. I'm for thrilled sure. to have been on with you. I hope we could do this again sometime. Absolutely. Governor Murphy, thanks for joining us. And I'll let you back to your day. Thanks, Governor. Take care. Thanks. Appreciate it. That's all for this week. Be sure to join us next week. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at G17Esiason, and you can check out my website at GunnarEsiason.com. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to The State of Health and leave a review and a rating. A big thank you to everyone at Entercom who helped make this show possible. Thank you, and see you next week.